Hello, and welcome to another episode of Wolf Disney. I'm Sarah. And I'm Natalie. We are the Wolf Sisters. You'd think we'd have this memorized by now. Two sisters who uh, grew up with very little Disney experience or exposure um, and are slowly making our way through the Disney catalog, movie by movie, in chronological order. Our movie this week is... The Incredible Journey 1. And what a journey it was. 1963. All right. This is where we normally go, woo. Well, now we're replacing that with the year. Oh. <laughs> that was what we decided last week, yeah, I think. Of course. Ooh, that was, don't do that. You hear that? Yeah. Okay, good to know. Do you hear this? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's my turn to do my one sentence summary. One symptom summary? One sentence oh. summary. Okay. <laughs> one symptom. Uh, porcupine bite. <laughs> <laughs> bite. <laughs> or sting. Quill. Quill. Sting. Porcupine quills. What is that called? Not sting. I impalement. Maybe. Yeah, it's not really a sting. Hmm. hmm. Stab. So you didn't do your research on porcupines. I did not. Did okay. you? No, I did mine on Siamese cats. Okay, Sarah, is this, are you serious? No. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I saw the cat and I was like, oh, I can do my research on Siamese cats. And then I was like, you already did that once for Lady and Tramp. Oh, man, I was about to be really mad at you. <laughs> I know. I, I was, was like, like, welcome to the shortest episode, everybody. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to text Natalie and tell her I'm doing Siamese. And I was like, nah, I'm going to wait for the podcast to do that and watch her overreact. Um, no, okay. <clears throat> I have a one sentence summary. That's our new thing we're doing yep. of this movie. And it's it's more of a question in that it is a question. Um, I have a question but, too, but go my ahead. Question, my question is, this is my one sentence summary question. Is this bull terrier going to die? Oh. Yeah. Uh, it was like every 10 minutes, the narrator was like, ooh, Bodger's not looking great. He probably won't make it, but he's going to yeah. keep crying. Yeah, I think the narrator had a clear favorite animal in that journey, and that bothered me. Was it the cat? Oh, I guess the, the narrator did not like the bull terrier. Yeah. Um, my one sentence thing is, is this movie just a nature documentary disguised with a plot? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very close to that. I have an icebreaker. Oh, okay. What is it? Um, so if you didn't already pick up on it based on our two synopses, um, The Incredible Journey, if you've seen Homeward Bound, it's Homeward Bound. Um, the Incredible Journey is three animals who are wandering through 200 miles of Canadian terrain to find their um, owners. And along the way, they stop at a few different houses. They stop at a, a hermit's house, a little girl's house, and a, kind of a farmer couple. Hunter? Hunter. Farmer. Ranch man, I don't know. Um, I think that's just all the houses, right? Well, we can also include the house he starts at, which is the bachelor's. The friend. And the house he ends at, which is the, his former owners. We're not including that house in my icebreaker. Oh, okay. So of those four houses, if you were on this journey, or if you were one of these animals, which one would you rather stay at? 
if you knew you couldn't go back to your family's house? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know, maybe the, either the girl or the older couple, definitely not the hermit. Not the hermit. Definitely. He didn't feed them. <laughs> he was confused. He was they, confused. They weren't eating. Uh, was that, was yours the hermit? No, I oh. would choose the little girl. Okay. Because the couple was cool, but they also made them sleep in the barn. Um, they are going to be outdoor pets. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, whereas the girl got, the cat got to sleep with the little girl in her bed. That's true. That's all. That was a great, great icebreaker, Natalie. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Starting off strong. What did you research? I did a lot of different things. Oh boy. I did. Um, I did just some research into the original story. Okay. Um, I did some research on hermits. Okay. Um, I did research on bull terriers. I researched the song that the old man say that the father sang to the girl. Okay. And I researched other stories like this. Other stories like this. Like I have. I have one, another story. It was a true story. I researched true stories of animals on long journeys, which when you Google that phrase, for some reason, Google thinks you want to talk about the journey over the rainbow bridge mm. um, because almost all of the first like hits were uh, about uh, animals in the afterlife. And I was like, no, no. I, I can't imagine that no one else has ever thought to Google animal, like true stories of animals on long journeys. And I was like, long trips? I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know what other words to use to get away from the afterlife. You didn't know just to start on that Dodo website? The Dodo? Dodo? Do oh yeah. No, I didn't. Stuff people always share on Facebook. It's like, you'll never believe what this animal did when his owner died. He slept yeah. in front of the grave until he died. Isn't that heartwarming? That was the one I was going to talk about. Well, I don't want to hear about it. Okay. It's my least favorite kind of story. That's what I researched. Okay. What'd you research? I researched lullabies. Why so creepy? <laughs> is that based on the Finnish song that the man sang? It is. And I assumed that would also, I, I, so I did not tell Sarah what I was researching but I had a hunch that the scene, which is not a prominent scene at all, uh, this dad singing a lullaby that's like at a like Icelandic language or something. It's actually Finnish. Finnish. Yeah. Um, I knew this 15 second scene um, with subtitles would also make it into Sarah's notes. Um, it did. So good to know that I can predict what happens when both of our brains when scenes like that happen. Um, so yeah, like, I researched lullabies. It sounds like you, like if there's ever a time when I can't be here for a podcast recording. Okay. <laughs> I know that's right. On weird. your journey over the rainbow bridge. <laughs> yeah. One day, Natalie, uh, this is really weird. We're taking a weird turn today. Um, <laughs> it sounds like you could do the whole podcast by yourself. Anticipating what Sarah would research. Um. John John Weicker, one of our loyal yeah. listeners, 
um, texted Erin, who was on our podcast last week, um, and said she did a great job of facilitating the conversation um, and that she should consider becoming a wolf and not a roux. Um, so we don't need facilitation. What is that think, supposed to I mean? I think we're very it? natural. Yeah. We have sister banter. <laughs> Sisanter, if you will. You might have said moderating. Been the verb he used, which makes um, more sense. Yes, we should start using like Robert's rules of order or something in our in our discussions, taking turns and all that. Yeah. Okay, so um, the Incredible Journey came out in 1963. Um, pretty popular, but again, I think it's mostly popular because of it is just a nature documentary. Um, and um, it was mostly praised for its nature scenes and for Rex Allen's narration of the movie because um, unlike Homeward Bound, um, these animals don't talk. Um, and so a lot of it is following dogs and a cat as Rex Allen narrates what they're thinking and doing. What, Sarah? I had a little bit of a Eric Wolf March of the Penguins moment. Mm. When you realized they started, they started their journey and I realized these animals were not going to talk mm-hmm. and that this was going to be more like Milo and Otis than Homeward Bound. Milo and Otis. And I think I've mentioned this in previous uh, episodes, but I, I do not like Milo and Otis. Um, like just watching a dog and a cat walk around. Aren't they cute though? I don't care. Aren't they like puppies and a puppy and a kitten or something? I think one's a pug. Yeah, I I love pugs, but I think there's like a scene where they end up in a barrel on a waterfall or something. It's definitely a traumatic water scene. Um, Uh, Was it more traumatic than than Pinocchio Part Two with the cat? I I wrote that down. I wrote this is worse than Pinocchio. Like, and then he picks the cat up and it's and it's all stiff. I was like, this thing's dead. Man, I hope y'all have watched this movie recently because we're kind of just ping ponging around the place. Okay, yeah, continue with your uh, movie synopsis. Um, so people liked it, uh, but the most, um, the negative reviews for the movie almost all have to do with the few humans that are in the movie. The bad um, acting. They are horrible. They are not great actors. They, I think all of them are actually Canadian, um, but I did notice during the credits I was watching for names because now I know names and I was like, I don't know any of these names. These are all new okay. Disney actors um and the kids especially were just awful uh next mix oh hold on however the human scenes including the climactic ending um met with mixed to negative reception for disrupting the mood of the film um (laughs) yeah they weren't great actors i think also i want to take back what i said these are new disney actors um we skipped a a few live action movies between the Parent Trap and The Incredible Journey. And I think some of these people might have been in other ones because um, this is Rex Allen's third in a row mm-hmm. kind of um, nature-y narration like he does for Disney um, in this like span of two years, I believe. Um, yeah, it was filmed in Ontario, Oregon, and Washington. Um, it was pretty. I mean, the opening credits, I was like, this could be mm-hmm. the Appalachian Mountains with all of the foliage. Yeah. 
yeah. agreed um i can talk about rex allen briefly i don't have much about him so speaking of rex allen he is the narrator he is known as the air he's dead i think yeah he was known as the arizona cowboy and the voice of the west oh yes he is dead because he has kind of a sad ending did you say sad or fab sad okay <laughs> or a weird an unusual ending i would say um, um what no i don't think we should guess how people died um he also was the voice of the father on walt disney's carousel of progress the heck is that at disney world i guess it's a carousel that shows progress progress like towards what i don't know like a merry-go-round like a married ring a merry-go-round no it's a carousel yeah those are the same things right i think carousel's big merry-go-round merry-go-round is little at, at, a, at a playground in front of uh roses what in front of a roses store oh so it's coin operated yeah i don't know what's the thing called at a playground the thing it spins yeah it's called a merry-go-round as well okay, that's what i was thinking of. go around with me mary hmm. um it, uh, so the carousel of progress was first presented at the 1964 world's fair and it's now at walt disney world um however in 1993 they renovated it and they replaced rex allen with another popular narrator um jimmy cricket no I don't think you're going to guess this. So I'm going to go ahead and say it. Okay. Well, you can do one more if you'd like. A popular narrator? Winnie the Pooh. No. All right. Uh, Gene Shepard. Um, it's the person who narrates a Christmas story. Yes. I was going to get there. I was going to get right. there. Sorry. She got there, everybody. Um, so Gene Shepard replaced Rex Allen as the voice of the father, but Allen was given a cameo as the grandfather in the final scene. Whatever that means. Disney World people, if you want to let us know, that's fine. Um, email us at wolfdisneypodcast at gmail.com. Even if we eventually make it to Disney World and do some weird podcast on it, I don't see myself going to the Carousel of Progress. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been through like, isn't it like a Hall of Presidents or something? In Epcot. Yeah. So we did that. That sounds worse than this Carousel of Progress. I mean, it's a, it's a carousel. How much progress can you see in a circle? A circle is round, has no bend. That's how long I want to be your friend. Is that a Girl Scout song you just did? You really don't know that song? Oh, it's the second verse to Make New Friends. Okay, yeah, I knew Make New Friends. Sorry, I forgot that wasn't the first verse. Anyway, um, Rex oh, Allen was... This will be our last episode. <laughs> also, it's 2 p.m. on a Sunday. If that changes things, I don't know. Uh, and it snowed. I had a cold brew at like nine. A coffee? Is that right yeah. yeah. I coffee. Hardee's has cold brew now. Hardee's? Yeah. I said, I'm here for DoorDash, but also, can I get a cold brew for myself? And she said, yeah. And I handed her my card and she was like, don't worry about it. And I was like, cool, this isn't going to be good. 
cold brew if y'all could just give this away. Not a good sign. Uh, that happened with me at like Captain D's one night. Everything else, everything shuts down in this town really early. And <laughs> it was like nine o'clock. I think I just finished some kind of church thing and I was so hungry. And that was the only thing that was open over where I was dog sitting. And so I went through the drive-thru and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have my debit card on me. And the woman was like, just take him. <laughs> I was like, oh. Uh, two things. I think that's your second time mentioning going to Captain D's on this podcast. Well, that's because you did a deep dive into Captain D's on one of the episodes. Yeah. Uh, number two, I don't, I know it's not necessary to like make this clarification to any like maybe new listeners who are just tuning in. We don't, we're not the type that goes to Hardee's or Captain D's on the way. <laughs> I'm so surprised that, you're at Hardee's. Yeah, not that that means anything like about somebody's personality, but I do feel the need to say that I was only there to pick up somebody else's Hardee's breakfast, uh, but they do have a hash brown bowl. And really, so I, I am, my interest is peaked. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, I think, I think you mean to say star Hardy's though. Sorry, star Hardy's Carl's jr. Okay. Okay. Um, so Rex Allen also was the voice of the narrator in 1973. Charlotte's web. Yeah. movie. As soon as he started talking, I was like, Oh, that's Charlotte's web guy. Yeah. yeah. It's not Disney. It should it uh-huh. feel like, I feel like we should make an exception and watch that for a new episode. I just love that movie. I might just watch it. Today. Yeah, I think I'm going to watch it later, too. Um, that's about all I have on the actual movie. Wait, no. How did he die? Oh, yeah. Um, so he probably died of a heart attack, but um, you can... No, he died of a heart attack, but um, they found him because his friend... Yeah, I think his friend was getting ready to take him somewhere, um, and they did not realize that he had had a heart attack in the driveway. Um, and so his friend did run over him while reversing out of the driveway. Oh. Yeah, so um, that was like all delivered in one sentence in his Wikipedia article. Um, <laughs> and I had an outburst in the apartment that was silent. And Aaron was like, is everything okay? And I was like, oh yeah, just, <laughs> just doing some research for the podcast, don't worry. Um, <laughs> You know yeah. the narrator from Charlotte's Web? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Anyway, that's Rex Allen. Um, he's probably in a lot of shows that Eric Wolf watches. Yeah, probably. It's Cowboy of Arizona? Yeah. The Arizona Cowboy. Sorry, the Arizona Cowboy. Thank you. Ooh. Okay. You want to talk about the story? You want to just like go through your list of things you have to give us? Yeah, sure. This movie is based on a book of the same name. Um, It was a children's book and it was written by Sheila Brunford and it's based on her actual pets. So she had a bull terrier, a Siamese cat and a retriever. And I don't know if you picked up on this, but I did that the um, bull terrier and the Siamese had a really close relationship. Like it was really adorable in the mm-hmm. movie. Um, and they did in real life too. Like she'd never seen a dog and a cat 
um, like each other so much ever. And so I think that's kind of what inspired the writing of the book, maybe a little bit. Um, in the book, Bodger, the bull terrier is blind in one eye and he's 11 years old. Wow. Um, yes, ma'am. So Bodger was written as a boy. Yes. Did you notice that Bodger, the actor, was a female dog? Yes. And it really bothered me. They could not just change. Me too. It's just a dog. Yeah. It really doesn't change anything about what happens to it. Yeah. It was definitely a female dog though. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the fun facts or, or whatever elements of the book is that um, Teo, like Bodger, despises other cats and in the book, the two share many adventures, terrorizing the other felines in their neighborhood. When they encounter other domesticated cats in their travels, Teo often fights them successfully. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was, but when the book came out, it wasn't super popular. But then when the movie came out, a lot of people started buying it. And then it had like, again, um, a resurgence in interest after Disney remade this movie as Homer Bound in 1993. So I did uh, research. So, okay, this is where, why I did research on hermits um, because there was one in the movie mm-hmm. and his name was Jeremy the Hermit, not a character in the book. That's interesting. Like no mention of Jeremy. On the Wikipedia page that has list like the cast or the list of characters in the book, it lists like everything, like the links makes yeah. the cast list, the mother bear, the cubs, they all make the cast list. Um, no mention of Jeremy the Hermit. So I'm just like, when they're writing the screenplay, they're like, mm, it's missing something. What, what is this incredible journey missing? Ah, a hermit, Jeremy the Hermit. Did Walt owe that actor like a, a gig? <laughs> That actor had some some dirt on yeah. on Walt, and so he made it into the jokes movie. on him. Yeah, it was it was strange. Um, so yeah, I just did a little bit of research on hermits. Okay, um, but basically, um, they're a lot of them are just religious. Like like the origins of hermits are that they are like kind of um, they kind of. Are reclusive or whatever they withdraw from society so that they can focus on their relationship with god and there's like a spiritual thing um sorry i want to go back to why is there a hermit in this movie because they meet this hermit and i'm like oh great because because you know bodger might die any second according to the narrator yeah and i'm like great they met this hermit jeremy and he's going to feed them right that's great and he doesn't he doesn't feed them he puts stew in different bowls on the table and like expects these animals who are obviously well behaved because they sit as soon as he says sit um he expects them to jump up on the table and eat their stew they don't do that so he doesn't even feed them so like there's really no no point in adding this character to the movie yeah it makes me mad the more I think about it. I wonder comic, comic relief. Yeah, and I wonder if they just like like three is just a nice number. There's three animals having three stops. Like I wonder if it just like for symmetry, 
Um, Because if they didn't, because the movie is pretty short. And if they didn't have that other stop, huh? It didn't feel short. short. The movie is an hour and 20 minutes long. Um, And compared to over two hours previous movie, The Parent Trap, it's a pretty short movie. Um, Yeah, I mean, maybe they also like just needed more human interaction. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was funny. The the hermit scene. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um with I th- it was funny with the added in narration. I thought the narration was well done. Um it made what could have been a, a just really boring movie a little bit more lighthearted um and entertaining. Yeah. Um so I researched hermits and um I got to St. Giles, who is the patron saint of hermits. And he was um, alive in the seventh century and he was a hermit in France. Um, And he lived like in the wilderness somewhere in France. And uh, (laughs) Wikipedia, great resource. Yes, ma'am. Did you, like is hermit like the preferred term? Did Did you... Yeah, there's a couple of terms that you can use, but like they basically go from, it comes from the Greek for, uh, from the desert because it is, what? Hermit crabs. No. Um, So it's based on, this is some church history, you know, the the desert mothers and fathers were the people that withdrew Mm-hmm. to the wilderness to they thought that like the church was getting things wrong and so they wanted to get closer to god and so it comes from the greek from of the desert describing the desert mothers and fathers hmm. um and so then it's kind of changed throughout time um so yeah the, the, it's the word hermit and then there was another one that was like Arimatea or something like that which is more closely related to the greek i think um but that's where it came from um, so St. Giles is the patron saint of hermits. Um, he lived in great solitude for many years. This was my favorite line from, with, from Wikipedia. His sole companion being his dear deer or red deer, who in some stories sustained him on her milk. It, it says dear deer, D-E-A-R. Yeah, I got it. E-E-R, D-E-E-R, yeah. Why did they call it? Why did they do that? I don't, there are so many other words. I, I can't think of the words right now. Friend, yeah, you don't have to. His companion, that. the deer. Bestie. His nice deer. Happy Smart deer. Companion. Yeah. His dear deer. Um, anyways, who maybe sustained Beloved. him on her milk. What'd you say? Beloved. Beloved deer. Yeah. Um, it says that Giles ate a Christian vegetarian diet. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's like not the secular vegetarian diet. Yeah. What's, what are the like pagan fruits and vegetables we shouldn't be eating? Um, probably like pumpkins. Well, that's, that's just my first thought. I don't know. I don't know. Well, now that I'm saying this, I read a Bill Bryson book about the history of the home. Uh-huh. And he like goes through the history of, of a house in England and he says that like in the 17, 1800s or whenever, some other time, a long time ago, um, ministers used to preach against the potato 
um, because mm. no God respecting vegetable would grow its like fruit underground. Um, and okay. so that made it, that made it suspect. So maybe carrots, he maybe, yeah, can't carrots either. So, um, yeah, so maybe he didn't eat potatoes or carrots. I think I, I think overall, I prefer the ones that grow in the ground. I think I do too. <laughs> anyway. Huh. Yeah. Um, so, uh, St. Giles, here's a phrase I don't love saying is the patron saint of cripples. Okay. That's what the Wikipedia page says, but is also invoked as a saint for childhood fears, hmm. convulsions, okay. depression, and depression. Hmm. Well, got a, got a big variety there. Yeah. Um, and then the other interesting like sub article on Wikipedia that I've always found fascinating are the anchorites. Mm-hmm. And they are people who were walled into churches. So they would build these cells on the outside of a church and there would be, and a lot of them are women, I think they would, um, they would commit themselves to living in these cells and there would be an official ceremony where the priest like, wa- like cemented them into the cell and there would be holes in the windows and, and they would be reliant on townsfolk passing them food through these windows and they would spend their entire lives walled into these cells. Um, it's crazy. It is. Sorry, we shouldn't make fun of the other faith traditions. It is not how I would choose to um, practice my faith. Yeah, it's better. Okay. Continuing with my research. Next, I researched bull terriers, uh-huh. which is the type of dog that Bodger is. And, and uh, the target dog. What? And the target dog. And yes, on the AKC website, mentions Bullseye, the target mascot, as famous bullies. Um, and that's, that's like with a capital B, not like a B U L L Y, but a bull yes. terrier. Um, if anything, that dog is the target of, of bullies target. Yeah. There you go. The bullied bullied, um, famous bullied dogs. Um, they probably do get bullied. They got those egg heads. I think they're cute. I think they're too. I dogs that for one, they just moved to Texas, but, um, her name was squid. It's a good, <laughs> good name. It was a good name. She was, which is funny. Um, but, uh, the AKC website kind of goes through the history of, of the breed and says that, um, in the 13th century in England, um, the pastime of bull baiting Mm -hmm. was a very popular sport. And so basically they would tie, they would stake a bull, like it would be tied to a stake somewhere. And then that's stake with the S-T-A-K-E, not S-T-E-A-K. Thank you. Yep. Um, and they would turn bulldogs loose to do that. And, um, it says, uh, bulldogs proved too slow and plodding to provide much entertainment in these gruesome affairs. <laughs> Although we should provide a link to, um, Bevo and Ugga. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we can do that. Bevo and Ugga. 
Um, and so then they started, so once they were like, hmm, bulldogs probably not the best for this. Um, they started breeding bulldogs with terriers. Okay. And that's how, and they, with the idea of producing a dog that would have um, the power of a bulldog and the animation and fiery spirit of terriers. Um, but then um, thankfully bull baiting was outlawed. And so it was like, so bull baiting was outlawed and that actually just turned into dog fighting. They're like, all right, if they can't fight bulls, they can fight each other. Um, and so then finally that was outlawed too. Um, and then in the mid 1800s, the bull terrier became fashionable am among young gentlemen. So it became like an, an upper crust, like uh, um, marker of, you know, sophistication and, mm. and, you know, a gentle, a gentleman's chum. Uh, here's, here's a bit of old doggerel, as the AKC website says. Doggerel? Doggerel. I think it's like a song about dogs or something. Oh. Um, Hinks found a bull terrier, a battered old bum, and made him a dog for a gentleman's chum. And so uh, James Hinks is, is this Englishman who um, really like took the bull terrier and refined it as a breed and helped get it its status with the AKC. Um, so yeah, that's the bull terrier. Do you know um, anything about their popularity? Because I feel like they were um so the I don't think we really need to cover Homeward Bound because that'll be a movie eventually yeah although I'd be okay if we didn't watch this I don't know anyway um because Homeward Bound so in The Incredible Journey it is a Labrador retriever which turns into a golden retriever in Homeward Bound and the bull, ter bull terrier turns into a bulldog in Homeward Bound um, and so I, th I thought that seemed like a reflection of the popular breeds at the time in the United States. Um, and so yeah. I didn't know if, if you came across. No, I didn't. But, you know, I think a lot of people see bull terriers and they assume, I mean, it is, they're connected to like the pit bull history. Yeah. And so I wonder if they were like, eh, it's going to turn people off to see a bull terrier. I mean, so this is cute. I know. I mean, this is before the target dog, I think, became a big thing too. Um, like in the 90s, the target dog, I think, became. Uh, oh, I thought you meant 1963. And I was like, I think it's definitely before no. the target dog <laughs> became a thing. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no, I mean for Homeward Bound. Um, yeah. I just wonder if they were like, eh, people are going to like have a debate about whether or not this dog is a family dog or whatever. Yeah. But I'm totally just guessing. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, the next thing that I researched was the Finnish song. Okay. That the man sings to the little girl in a crazy good singing voice, which I was like, yeah. give up your farm and start touring because yeah. you've got a really good voice. Like a, um, a Captain Von Trapp. Yes. Um, so just basically the lyrics are, one beautiful summer evening while walking in the valley, I met a girl I will always remember. She was playing the cantelli while singing a song. Her music awakened my soul and won my heart. And if you're wondering what a cantelli is, that is a traditional Finnish plucked string instrument of the dulcimer or zither family. How did you find the translation? I googled the lyrics. I did too, and it kept saying no results. So I, googled... I didn't understand. I did say Google. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that.
um yeah I don't know I just googled the the words did you have the um you have the captions on yeah yeah interesting okay yeah um are you using bing <laughs> I was I, I asked Jeeves actually uh, Jeeves knew it's okay. very helpful then my last thing that I googled was True stories of animals that go on long journeys that are not journeys over the rainbow bridge. Oh yeah, I forgot about this section. <laughs> um, it did take me to a bunch of websites that I just didn't have the patience to click through because they had so many pop-up ads. Um, yeah. So I found one and I just clicked on the first story. And so we're just going to get one story, but it's an interesting one. Okay. This is from the American... Um, the National Museum of American History, um, which is, I think, part of the Smithsonian Museum. Okay. And at that museum, you will find a stuffed carrier pigeon um, who's missing a leg. And you might ask yourself, why is the stuffed carrier pigeon at the Smithsonian? And I'll tell you. The bird has a name, and its name is Cher Ami which is French for, I think, like my friend or something like that. Um, and he, yep, he, I was trying to find a good pronoun for him. Um, he was a registered black Czech carrier pigeon, one of 600 birds owned and flown by the U.S. Army Signal Corps in France during World War I. He delivered 12 important messages within the American sector at Verdun, on his last mission, October 4th, 1918, he was shot through the breast and leg by enemy fire, but still managed to return to his loft with a message capsule dangling from the wounded leg. Wow. The messenger Sherami carried what, oh, sorry. The message Sherami carried was from Major Charles S. Whittlesley's lost battalion of the 77 infantry division that had been isolated from other American forces. The message brought about the, the relief of the 194 battalion survivors, and they were safe behind American lines shortly after the message was received. For his heroic service, Cherami was awarded at was awarded the French Croix de Guerre with palm. Oh, the palm thing means. Um, he was returned to the United States and died at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey on June 13, 1919, as a result of his wounds. Sherami was later inducted into the Racing Pigeon Hall of Fame oh. in 1931 and received a gold medal from the organized bodies of American pigeon fanciers in recognition of his extraordinary service during World War One. Uh, is this the last thing like in the like that you in like chronologically of your research? Is that the last thing you covered? Yeah. Uh were you annoyed? Why would I be annoyed? Because I feel like then I would have been like, well, now I need to do another hour of research on Carrier this pigeon, pigeon. Yeah, this world of call of fame. And uh, yeah, it did. Yeah. I was like, ooh, yeah. I, <laughs> this world existed. Racing Pigeon Hall of Fame. Like, who, who else is in that? Can I get one in there? Um, there's How lots of pictures of this bird, too, that we'll put. <laughs> the bird is standing on one leg. Yeah. Right. leg. And oh, there's a close up of his lost leg. That's All right. Gross. So you're, yeah, you're clicking and clacking the ground again. Click, click, clacking. So that's, that's, uh, oh. that's a lot of research. 
So as I said, um, the um, lullaby also got oh, my I forgot opinion. you did research on lullabies. <laughs> lullabies, why are they so creepy? As I said earlier, um, I also was intrigued. Intrigued, thank you. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I thought I was forming that sentence incorrectly or something. Um, I was also intrigued by the lullaby scene, and I was not able, under any circumstances, to find the translation of it. Um, like Google was saying, there are no results for what you want. Um, and so I just assumed that it must be a creepy lullaby. Um, uh, because a few things that did come back were like, read these 10 creepy uh, lullabies from Iceland. Then I remembered that a lot of lullabies are creepy. Um, and so I did some research to try to figure out why. Because it's a pretty like universal thing, like almost every language or culture has um, like, like Rockabye Baby is pretty uh, mild compared to other like folk songs that um, different um, cultures sing to their babies. Um, and so a lot of my research is thanks to Jenny Martyr's essay from PBS titled, Why Are So Many Lullabies Also Murder Ballads? Um, so to start a definition, Lullaby, a song to quiet children or lull them to sleep, a soothing refrain. Um, so that they can have nightmares. Right. Oh, but like, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, so Martyr starts out by citing a lot of um, research that's been done by, um, like pediatricians and ethnomusicologists uh -huh. um, on lullabies and like singing and music with babies and parents. Um, and so studies have shown that live lullabies, so not just like a song playing on Spotify, but somebody singing to you can slow infant heart rate. Um, it can improve sucking behaviors that are critical for feeding. Um, it can increase periods of quiet alertness and it can help babies sleep. Um, they've also done studies um, of these, these live lullabies just in um, NICUs and PICUs uh, to show that it also uh, is a form of stress relief for the parents who are there as well, um, not just for the babies, um, which I don't think any of that is very shocking. I mean, I think in general, we know that music um, is, calming. is calming and well, can be calming um, and is healing in different ways that like medicine can't necessarily give us um, sometimes. Um, so she asks, is it the voice and the rhythm and the melody of the music that the youngest babies respond to and not the content of the song? Um, is it the case then that the words are as much for the parent as for the child? Because um, babies don't understand. I mean, even as a child, like if you don't pay it, if you, if you just know Rockabye Baby, you don't think about it. Like, it's just meaningless words. Yeah. Um, like, my friends and I, this is on the same level, but my friends and I were talking last week about <laughs> resetting the Pledge of Allegiance in school. And I was like, none of those words meant anything. I knew those words, but they didn't mean anything to me together. Allegiance, like, that wasn't, 
and now, two republics with for which it stands yeah. one, like yeah these are just random phrases that we yeah. just do all the time i was yeah. like this is like just weird ideology that doesn't mean anything to me it's, as a third yeah. grader indivisible yeah um, <laughs> yeah um and so she gets into talking about um how um often when it's it's the caretaker who's singing to their baby um it can is it that the mother or the caretaker is singing as much to themselves as they are to the baby. Um, lyrics to lullabies. Um, this is now quoting Andrew Petit, who is a lecturer at UCLA and an ethnomusicologist, um, says that the lyrics to lullabies can indeed be interpreted as a reflection of the caregiver's emotions. Um, people have said that lullabies are a space to sing the unsung a place to say the unsayable, you are alone, nobody is listening and you can express the feelings that are not okay to express in society. So like the major theme in a lot of these creepy lullabies are like children, yeah, children being left, like a lot of these lullabies, even the nicer lullabies are about the baby is going to like this dreamland and the parents clearly aren't a part of this dreamland that the baby is going to. Um, and so the baby like, and especially the dreamland thing I think is really, um, it, based on this article and some other ones I read, um, I think American lullabies often go towards this dreamland thing because it, it, whether we think about it or not, it does encourage this like independence for a child um, mm -hmm. of like, this is the journey you're going to go on by yourself tonight. Um, I'm, I'm going to leave the room um, and you're going to go to sleep and these are the adventures you'll have. Um, it's like, even though those aren't like scary, it still is kind of this yeah. detachment a little bit. Well, I always thought it was weird when like we would say, when kids would say prayers and they would do the, now I lay me down to sleep. I mean, pray the Lord. Yeah. Pray the Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord, my soul to take. Yeah. I used to say that prayer. Yeah. Sam. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, this is about me dying in the is night. It's statement. I'm is not this, ready for this. Is this does this happen? <laughs> like kids just go to bed on a Thursday night and they're like, Oh, didn't make it. Like yeah. Bodger. Mm, bring it back to the movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> so lullabies can, um, can embody a mother's fear of loss. Um, cause a lot of them are about, um, like monsters and things taking children. Um, Joanne Lowy, who is at the, Louis Armstrong Center for Music and Medicine at Mount Sinai Beth Israel Hospital in New York. Cool. Um, she compares it to breaking glass at a Jewish wedding, which is a ritual that portrays the sacredness of love that can easily be shattered if not docked and cradled. Wow. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um, you know what's hard about being a lecturer on, on lullabies? What? Your audience just falls asleep every time you talk about them. They're lulled into a calm okay. sense of sleepiness. Okay. I mean, you were talking about the guy that's a yeah. UCLA lecturer. Petite. Man, every time you like have class, I think the class, all your students are asleep. Okay. Um, anyway, um, so as I said, it's not these lullabies aren't an isolated thing. They don't happen just in one continent or country. Um, so in ancient Babylon, lullabies were used as magical charms to protect sleeping babies. 
um, which then could turn into expressing fears directly or metaphorically based on, uh, which feels kind of like the, now I lay me down to sleep thing is um, there's right. a fear there of the child dying in their sleep, but let's put this charm on there that the Lord will take their take them. Yeah. Um, Indian folk lullabies um, historically often celebrate boys predicting wealth and glory while it prepares girls for lives of hardship. Um, though that is changing um, in a modern context now. There's, I think, supposedly there's a push for um, more gender equality in the songs that we sing to children. Lullabies. Yeah. Um, American lullabies, the most characteristic quality is the spatial isolation of the baby. The caregivers are not around. Um, and then Bess Lomax Hawes um, gives an explanation for a rockabye baby. Um, when the bow breaks, the cradle will fall is simply a reference to closing the bedroom door. The context is a culture that values independence and strength in its children, but the trade-off is the separation strain experienced by the postpartum mother. So, wow. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to find the creepiest lullaby I could find. Man, I really should have written where this was from, huh? Might be Russia. I would well, guess Russia. Huh? Like Scandinavia. Yeah. It is Russian. Okay. Um, this is a Russian lullaby called Tilly Tilly Bum. And here's the translated lyrics. Tilly Tilly Bum, Tilly Tilly Bum, close your eyes now. Someone's walking outside the house and knocks on the door. Tilly Tilly Bum, the night birds are chirping. He is inside the house to visit those who can't sleep. He walks, he is coming closer. Tilly Tilly Bum, can you hear him closing in? Lurking around the corner, staring right at you. Nope. Tilly Tilly Bum, the silent night hides everything. He sneaks, nope. up, he sneaks up behind you and he is going to get you. He walks, he is coming closer. So something that the article did not address that I want to be addressed is that there's not just like this isolation thing, but a lot of these are like, um, like spooking kids into going to sleep, like kind of the opposite of like Christmas Eve, like go to sleep around Santa won't visit. It's go to sleep around this monster is going to prey on you and get you because you're not sleeping. That would never make which, me sleep. Which will not make me sleep. And maybe that's a thing is that kids then pretend to sleep and then they're, you know, not strong enough and they fall asleep. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm just like, glad I was born and I was born. Yeah. Like, I, I, I just think I would have had constant anxiety if I were born at any other time. Well, yeah, I already had sleeping problems, so I didn't need this stress on putting on me. Um, so to end my time with the lullabies, um, I <laughs> offered up some suggestions of, of alternatives of what you could sing to your children or play for your children instead. Um, so I, um, I have a, a very short playlist I've kind of curated over time as I hear songs that are kind of are lullabies really. Um, you've already had this playlist for myself. You'd already created this playlist. Yeah. I created that, uh, probably in like 2016. So, um, are they all, are they all like slow songs or are they just like, I'm going to tell they, you what they are. Well, I was just going to say like, can I guess one of them? 
Sure. I mean, if I were, I would do the Railway Trestles song by the Brothers. Okay. It's yeah, like have- telling a story. Yeah, that's a good one. I haven't updated it in a while, so that one's not on there, but that is a good one. Um, I think I actually created this because the first song is um, a Mipso song called Sleep Little Dreamer. Um, and I think that album probably came out around the time. And I said, this is a good lullaby. Um, so I put it into a new album called Lullabies. So there are five lullabies on this lullaby playlist. Um, and I wanted to see how many of them are kind of creepy and how many of them are a little more wholesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm here to report, I would say one and a half of them are a little creepy. Uh, which I think is a good ratio. Uh, mm-hmm. The scariest one, or the, uh, yeah, the, uh, is um, when a cowboy trades his spurs for wings, um, which uh, uh, Jillian Welch and um, Dave Rawlings um, mm-hmm. did for that Netflix Western, uh, R- R- Buster Scruggs. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that one's about, it's like a, it's a cowboy lullaby and how one day you two will trade your, um, your spurs for wings. It's a pretty song. Anyway, so I, I my suggestions to you people out there um, are Sleep Little Dreamer by Mopso. Um, and then both of the Mary Poppins movies give us really good lullabies. Stay Awake by Julie Andrews. That one will put you to sleep. It's super soothing. Um, the place where the lost thing go- lost things go is Emily Blunt's lullaby in the new Mary Poppins, which is a little dark. Um, it's a little bit about grief and loss, but it is about dreaming. Or well, I don't know if it's about dreaming. Anyway, um, and the last one I think is on there because it was on that tape that I had that was my lullaby tape um, is uh, Goodnight Little Arlo slash Goodnight Little Darlin by Woody Guthrie. Um, so other suggestions, I did, I asked some, polled the audience, um, uh, John Weicker says, uh, he usually sings a lot of hymns to his daughter, Lucy, including Come the Fount, Silent Night, and We Three Kings, which We Three Kings is kind of a good one, I think. Not one you would think of, but it's a story. story. Um, he said for the second and third verses, he just repeats her name for every syllable, which I think is appropriate. Uh, <laughs> We don't want lullaby time to be stressful of you trying to remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I texted my friend Karsten, um, who has a, a pandemic baby. Um, and he's also, he and his wife are big music, like they did music in undergrad, very smart people, music people. Um, he says he likes to sing his son, Charlie, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, but in a minor key. Um he said that still might put it in the weird or creepy category though. Um, said my goal is for him to get to preschool and think it's weird for happy birthday to be in a major key. Um, him tombs make for nice alternative lullabies. There's all those Presbyterian favorites like God is mad and we deserve hell as a Methodist. Um, and then he sent me an album by his friends who did a lullaby album. Um, it's called Songs for Sleeping by the apple tree it's on spotify so go look it up um yeah and then um four celebrity lullaby albums 
This is my last suggestion. Let us know what lullabies you liked and like to sing on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Twitter, nope, Wolf Disney Pod. Or email us, wolfdisneypodcast at gmail.com. Here are four celebrity lullaby albums I have to suggest to you today. Uh, Jewel did one, Nick Lachey did one, Celine Dion did one, and Rick Springfield. And here, I haven't listened to it, but here's the one bit I could think of. I wish that you would go to sleep. It was like Jesse's girl. I wish that you would go to sleep. So. I wish that you would go to sleep. Yeah, that's good. That might get the child a little, I don't know, it's kind of upbeat. Anyway. Well, that was a great uh, random deep dive in the lullabies, Natalie. I think it was that random, but thank you. From our movie about animals on an incredible journey. Okay, I just have a couple reactions to the movie. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, this morning we got six inches of snow and I convinced our head of staff to record worship yesterday, which meant that I got to kind of have a lazy morning today. And so I got to watch CBS Sunday Morning, which is one of my favorite shows, but I don't ever really get to watch it because I'm always working. And they had a story today on two bull terriers wow. who are in love. They're and, in love? Yeah, I mean, they just really liked each other. But like, it was such a good story. I cried. I cried a <laughs> I mean, it was like, so it's actually, there's a book called, that's being published by a woman who's a contributor, a regular contributor to CBS Sunday Morning. And she wrote this book called When Somebody Met Somebody. I don't remember what their names were, the two dogs, but it's kind of like When Harry Met Sally. But basically she is really random. She was at the farmer's market and she had her bull terrier and she ran into this guy who was a dog walker that she hadn't seen in a while. She'd never seen him at the farmer's market. And she said that I guess one of her dogs had died. And so she was looking for another dog. And he was like, oh my gosh, it's so weird that I ran into you because I have a friend who's dying of liver cancer because she lived like right next door to ground zero. And so she got cancer just from like breathing in all of the like bad stuff that came out of the the towers falling. Um, But she's like a famous designer in New York, like an eclectic person. But she was dying of liver cancer. And she made him promise to either find a home for her bull terrier or have him put down. Like, cause he was like 11 or 12. Okay. Um, which like awesome. don't, don't make sure he's not in a shelter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so he arranged for them all to meet and like, they have like videos of like the two dogs meeting each other and they're like playing with each other and all this stuff. Um, and so then the, the two humans, they become really good friends, like throughout this process. Um, but then the woman does die of cancer and the woman that wrote the book brought her dog to live with them. And, um, they lived, I think like, I think the dog lived like another 18 months. Um, but like the two of them were inseparable and then, um, and then her dog died too. But, uh, (laughs) it was just a really sweet story. Um, yeah, I had notes about uh, bad actors. Um, 
humans being really bad actors. Um, I regretted picking the movie. Um, I did too. Yeah. Uh, I really thought the animals talked. And so once that wasn't happening, I was like, oh, hmm. I just can't, I can't imagine. I mean, it's not a bad movie. It's not, but I can't imagine what compelled Walt Disney Studios to do it again in the 90s. It was much better in the 90s, though. Okay. Have you seen it? Yes. Well, they got they got Sally Field to be the cat, and they got Michael J. Fox to be Champ the dog. I know. I mean, and it's funny. Okay. It's a good movie. Okay. This is not funny, but I was so impressed with the animal actors. Like, they got the cat to do all kinds of stuff, and I was like, how do you train a cat to do this stuff? Um, yeah. <laughs> all of the references about how old Bodger was just started to get to me. So I was like, yeah. obviously this dog is moving, so it's not dead yet, so stop talking about it like that. There was one part where the narrator said, the collapse when it came was total. So, yeah, not dead, still alive, right. just tired. Um, I also thought, you know, Teo the cat has a lot, there's like a lot of scenes of him hunting. And I was like, yeah, he should provide food because it's his fault in the first place that no one is looking for these dogs for three weeks because Teo's the one that dropped the note in the fire. What? I had no clue what happened to the note. I, I missed that part and I was like, <laughs> are they never going to address what happened to the note? Because I know I saw him write the note. Huh. I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen Homeward Bound and I was like, I had like some flashbacks too. There's another issue with the note in Homeward Bound. I think like the wind takes it away or something, but like only half of the note. Um, yeah, the note was on the mantle. Yeah. And the cat at night was walking around and like dropped half the note in the fire. So the only page that the person had, Mrs. Oaks or whatever, it said, I will of course take the dogs and the cat with me or something like that. We'll take them on a walk. But really, yeah, the next page was like, on a walk. Yeah. Um, oh, the bear cubs are really cute. I said, I said, wow, bear cubs are cute. And I wrote, is Bodger ever going to catch a break? <laughs> um, everything bad happened to Bodger. Nothing bad happened to that dumb Labrador retriever. Well, he got impaled. That's, yeah, well, we, don't, we still don't know what that word is, but yeah. Um. Uh, I said, I wish you could watch this in like one and a half time, like you can now with podcasts and um, like Kindle or uh, um, YouTube. Audible, Audible books. Um, uh, YouTube has that and Netflix has it. I wish Disney Plus would get on that for mm-hmm. people like us. Um, yeah, cat, the cat scene in the water. I wrote the cat in the wood, wood pile is worse than Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> when uh mr longbridge or whatever long john the guy that's walking watching the animals to begin with mm-hmm. when he realizes that they've been on their own for three weeks his housekeeper woman was like immediately she's like do you suppose they could have been hit by a car or poisoned or stolen yeah. <laughs> like, quiet. slow down yeah slow down yeah. um well, also, I was like, what is your purpose of being at this house if the animals aren't there? To get him coffee or something? It was weird. Yeah. 
feel like wrote a note to her to get coffee, which yeah, I strange. think was also on the page that burned up. So I think that means he came home. No coffee. No coffee. Um, at the end of the story, it's Peter's birthday and the godfather uncle guy gives him a puppy. And I was like, man, mom would not be happy if one of our like aunts or uncles was like, Natalie, I know you've been sad. Here's a puppy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, can you imagine getting a puppy for someone else's kid? No. <laughs> like, what the heck? Um, I loved when the animals come back, but Bodger hasn't come back yet. And they're like, Peter, are you happy that these other animals are back? And he goes, I feel old. (laughs) Same Peter. (laughs) Yeah. It's a a weird but believable kid response to that. (laughs) Yeah. It was just like one of those like weird things kids say that's like surprisingly relatable. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, I feel that. Um, so those are like mainly my notes, but um, 80 minutes felt like a long time. Yeah. It <laughs> could be my other summary. I don't have that many notes um, besides, yeah, um, just is the cat dead? Is the dog going to die? Um, there's one point where they get to the couple's house and the husband's removing the, the um, quills from um, the Labrador retriever and um, Bodger is uh, is upset because he thinks he's hurting him and so he's trying to bite him um, and so the husband says to the wife see if you can get him on the porch and she says how um, and that becomes a conundrum for them but throughout this entire movie everybody who encountered well maybe not the hermit the people who encountered these animals would be like well do you have an owner where's your owner hey you must not have an owner but these animals are all wearing collars I know I saw that too and I was like maybe collars just meant a different thing in the 60s I don't know um like regardless I get they probably didn't have phone numbers on them but like yeah I I think a collar symbolizes that like somebody loves this animal and wants them to be in their home Hmm? Um, I, we have not talked about uh, one human that they encountered who was not nice. The one who shot at? The one who shot at Bodger. Bodger. Yeah. At the sawmill? Yeah. Like, who sees a dog and they're like, oh. That's a weird reaction. Better get my gun and shoot this she dog with a collar. Eating the trash. Yeah. Obviously, it's just hungry. She's yeah. Nice. yeah. I didn't weird. like that scene. Agreed. Scary scale? Sure. Um, it's a uh, three. I would say probably a four or a five, but my scary scale is different from Natalie's. And mine's based on anxiety. And I hate, I just hate, you know, this about me. I hate any story that is just people trying to get somewhere. Yeah. It always stresses me out. And I'm always like, just stay where you are. Stop moving. Um, so that was stressing me out. Teo and the river stressed me out. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, the lynx, that scene. I was like, there's no way this cat's getting away from the bigger cat. Yeah. The cat can do everything the other cat can do. Um, so I didn't like that, but 
It wasn't as scary as other things. Was that the scene when the link started singing, anything you can do, I can do better? Yes. That was, I was confused by that song and dance number. It seemed a little out of place for a documentary about animals on a journey. Yeah, agreed. But the lynx looked really good with the top hat on, so. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, you guys have to see this movie. We're like, what is this movie about? <laughs> Lullaby is hermits? <laughs> a singing lynx with a top hat? All right, so every week, Sarah and I... <laughs> Can I just stop you from doing this and say we probably are not changing our, our picks? Yeah. My favorite movie is The Parent Trap and Sarah's is 101 Dalmatians. Yep. Until we get to Homeward Bound. It's a good movie. Um, so the next movie is The Sword and the Stone. Ooh, I've never seen that. Me neither. But I think a lot of people like it. Yeah, that one's talked about a lot online. Um, I know, I mean, the sword in the stone is a legend where you have to pull a sword out of a stone and whoever pulls it out gets to do something. Be a knight? Be a knight? Of the round table. Okay. I think that's a thing. Yeah. so medieval-ish stuff, lots of, yeah. I'm expecting a lot of um, uh, throwback to Sleeping Beauty animation, maybe. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I'm thinking, um, well, maybe I'm confusing this with Sleeping Beauty now that there might be a dragon, but like, maybe not. I think there are animals in it. I think there'll be some good music. Hmm. Yeah, that's possible. Maybe we'll get to explore lullabies some more. Hopefully. Um, yeah, that's all I've got. Um, I don't know if there's romance. I don't know what like the conflict is. No. I don't know if the whole thing's about like getting to the stone. Yeah. Or what like happens what happens after the stone. After the stone. Right, right. And does he cheat? Ooh, how can you cheat? I don't know. I think I think it's the like, night before, put some like Vaseline on the sword, then come out the next morning, pull it out, um, pour some hot water on it. I don't. I think it's magic. I don't think that's how it works. Like I think, I think it's like the princess and the pea. Like only a princess would feel the pea, in the mattresses, and so like a regular person would be able to feel the pea. So, so it's like a God-given vocation. Yes. Okay. Like only like so like tricks won't work. Tricks are for kids. Tricks are for kids, not sword in the stone pullers outers. Whew. Well, we will see you guys next week. Um, let us know what lullabies you like. Wolf Disney Podcast at gmail.com. Wolf Disney Pod on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Um, oh, my sources are Wikipedia, imdb.com, pbs.org for Why Are So Many Lullabies Also Murder Ballads, 
and um, a little bit of sleepjunkies.com and um, I uh, in a Huffington Post article, 18 dark and disturbing lullabies from around the world. Sarah, what are your sources? Okay. Um, so my uh, sources are um, Wikipedia for a lot of the stuff, but then um, the Kodali Center, the American Folk Song Collection, and that gave me the words to Old Calumnist Kaisalta or Summer Evening. Um, it's in the Library of Congress. Um, and also um, the American Kettle Club for Bull Terrier information and um, the National Museum of American History for our friend Cher Ami, the one-legged carrier <laughs> pigeon. Man, this episode was an incredible journey. <laughs> Wasn't it though? Yeah, I mean, so incredible can mean like it was amazing or it can be like, I just can't believe that this episode wow. yeah. has all of these ridiculous yeah. <laughs> adventures. And we'll let you decide yeah. which which way you lean with that word. <laughs> we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. This has been Wolf Disney. Thanks for listening. Our theme song is Lamb and Wolf by Pottington Bear. See you next week. Mm-hmm.